Well, good evening. Welcome to my wife, who should be watching at home. <laughs> so, go ahead. She'll like that. She'll like that. Uh, glad to have you with us this evening on YouTube, on uh, Facebook, on Twitter. Uh, be sure to like, to heart, to share. Uh, there on each one of those platforms just helps to get the word out with the algorithms there. Uh, and so just encourage you to take the time to do that. Welcome to our phone live streaming folks, who, too, who are listening online. If you need uh, that phone number, uh, we'll be glad to give that to you. Just call the church office. Uh, ask me after the service here. Be glad to give it to you. If you have access to the church website, uh, go to HighlandBaptistChurch.com. It's under the info tab that you can download the worship bulletin. So be sure to get that downloaded. If you need those in person, they're in the windowsills at the doors uh, as you leave there. So be sure to grab one of those. Uh, a lot of upcoming things. Uh, and then also we have our children's worship bulletins that go along with the Sunday morning uh, service. So those are ages three and up and seven and up. Those are under that info tab. Uh, also, you can download it, send the link to people, uh, print them off yourself, however you want to do that. But the most important thing for tonight is the prayer list. So be sure to get that down downloaded as we'll be going over that so I uh, just want to remind you of that uh, go ahead and get that downloaded if you need to give us any requests do that on Facebook uh, that's where we'll be looking at for the live feed uh, to uh, be able to give you any updates and uh, prayer requests uh, that may be listed there and then also go to uh, on our church website at HighlandBaptistChurch.com go to the far right hand side click the give online tab you can do your online giving there so I encourage you to take the time uh, to do that the offering envelopes are in the windowsills there's a few in the pews there uh, so you can do that and put that in the offering plate. But glad to have you with us tonight. Looking forward to a new book we're going to be getting into tonight. Uh, we finished uh, last week the book of Micah, so now we're back. We're still in the Minor Prophets, but we've only got a couple more uh, that we're going to be doing, as I've already preached through some of the others uh, at, at different times before. Uh, so we've only got two more that we're going to be going through, and we'll be in the book of Nahum tonight. So you may have to take a few minutes to look up where that is in the Bible <laughs> to find the book of Nahum. It's right after the book of Micah, if you've been following with us. So, Brother Mike, if you'll come and lead us. Well, since I don't have a set of procedures to follow, I'm shooting from the hip. I've just been told there's somebody here with a birthday. We're going to sing happy birthday to Lee Stevenson. Happy birthday, young man. I'm going to sing a cappella. It's right, right? Birthday? Okay. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Lee. Happy birthday to you. Okay, happy birthday, young man. Miss Pat, let's just sing, Oh, Worship the King, hymn number 16.
Hopefully you've had a chance to get your prayer requests uh, there online. I am following along uh, on Facebook myself. Let me make sure I'm as, yeah, I'm as far as I can go on live. Uh, so just want to say good evening to those who are uh, with us. And I did forget, well, I guess I have that upstairs. So let me go over here to my messages because I do have um, another message that's on my phone here. Uh, let me just go ahead and hopefully you've got that prayer list downloaded. I've got a few notes of some individuals to give you some updates uh, on. Uh, so as you look at your prayer list there, uh, we've added to the family, the HBC family side there, Tammy Bain. Uh, she, she sits back here at the back about the light switches there and has asked us to put herself as well as her son Cody, who's on the other side uh, on the prayer list. So uh, we've added both of those to the prayer list. Um, that's all that we've had uh, on added to the prayer list on the HBC family side. Uh, the only update that I have, other than that David Hess is still, uh, I think he's finishing up his treatments, is that right, or getting close to? Mark. David Hess? David Hess should, be. should be getting close to his last ones. Yeah, uh, that he only has a few left, but do continue to keep him in prayer. Uh, one of those that I was getting over to that is on our family side, she sent me a message uh, earlier today. Uh, it was from Sandra Wells. She had had an echocardiogram uh, done last week, uh, and it had showed a diastolic dysfunction and two other minor things, she said, and she was being referred to Dr. George. Well, she went and saw Dr. George uh, today. He wasn't concerned about the echocardiogram, uh, so, uh, but has ordered a stress test for next Wednesday to make sure that she can have the surgery so uh, be in prayer for that as she has that stress test next Wednesday I uh, also did talk to uh, Rosie Bouchard about uh, Leona Ross and she said she is out of the hospital she is uh, doing a little better but uh, still slow so keep her in your prayers as she continues to recover Phil has his uh, knee replacement surgery unless the things have changed that I don't know of uh, that he has that next Monday so keep him in prayer uh, for that and then over on the friends and family side, um, we have J.W. Jackson, and I wasn't making the connection before on exactly uh, who that was, but uh, they, it's, uh, J.W. and Sally sit back uh, with uh, Ed and Patricia when they come. They come pretty regular uh, when they can come. Uh, she's had a stroke a few years ago, but uh, he has been in um, Nashville at the hospital, uh, had some blockages in his heart. Uh, had three stents that were put in. He is still in the ICU, but uh, things are looking a little better there. So just continue to keep JW in your prayers. We had sent that call out, and uh, Miss Patricia called earlier today to let us know uh, his situation and where he's at uh, with, with having the three stents uh, put in. Um, and then also just continue to remember, any update on Janie Town, on Donna Adcox? Huh? Okay. So no update on 
on Janie Town, but just continue to remember her. Uh, that's the sister of Donna Agcock. And then we've also moved uh, on the nursing home list, the prayer from prayer on the other side. Um, I talked to Myra Patton uh, earlier this week also, and her mom is at Morning Point. Her dad is doing rehab at NHC, uh, that's Floyd Prince and uh, Sue Prince at Morning Point. Once he's done with his uh, uh, physical therapy, the hope is that he gets to the point where he can go back uh, to Morning Point to be there with Sue uh, and live there with her at Morning Point. So keep them uh, in your prayer. And that's been a point of stress for, for Myra uh, also. So keep her in your prayers with that. Uh, Miss Janet Carter, when I saw her uh, last Friday, she seemed to be uh, in fairly good spirit. She understands where she's at, you know, as good as Miss Janet can be. Uh, but she um, understands where she's at physically uh, and that she uh, has a long ways to go to be able to get back, uh, to, to be able to go home, uh, if that was even possible. But she seems to be settling in some. Any other prayer requests or any other updates? Okay, so uh, Oliver uh, is had a good uh, blood test this past Monday. Monday, and so his his counts were were good, and so we just praise the Lord for that. Just continue to pray that things continue uh, to improve uh, there and stay there. Yeah. <laughs> Any others? Uh, there was one other that I was given tonight also uh, Donna and Ron are on vacation uh, out west and uh, where they are there uh, they had come across a, a, in the town there a Planned Parenthood uh, facility which if you know Planned Parenthood that's an abortion facility and it just burdened her heart and asked that we would pray uh, for that there uh, and the, the women who are uh, seeking abortions there that uh, God will uh, intervene there uh, to to place a hedge there before them to uh, not go into those places and to bring up ministries in those areas. I was just listening to a testimony this past week uh, of a man who uh, was a former football player who is an advocate for uh, pregnancy resource centers and uh, he was sharing that about a pregnancy resource center that is in a former Planned Parenthood facility. Uh, where even on the floor when a, when a girl comes in uh, and still chooses to go and leave to potentially have an abortion, uh, the nurses and all gather around in prayer. Uh, they have it covered with a rug, but there are actually bloodstains still on the floor uh, in this facility from uh, the abortions that were done before, and they gather together in prayer uh, to pray that God will help them to keep pressing forward uh, in their ministry. So. Pray for this, that God will uh, uh, protect those young ladies who are seeking abortions there and place other resources there uh, to help them to choose life. If there's no others, and let me double check on Facebook here, if anybody's there. I don't see any prayer requests that are listed there. Uh, so let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer for these. 
Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for your grace and your mercy and your loving kindness tonight. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you will uh, take your word tonight and use it in our hearts and in our lives. Uh, we pray, Lord, that uh, as we come before you, we recognize that you are a holy uh, and a righteous God. We ask, Heavenly Father, that you will uh, speak into our hearts and help us, Lord, to see from the truth of your word uh, our sinfulness. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we would confess that sin before you and that as your word tells us that uh, as we confess our sin, may you be faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. So, Father, we pray tonight uh, that you would hear our prayers. We want to uplift each one of these that we've mentioned. Uh, tonight, we pray, God, that you will uh, divinely intervene in all of these situations, whether it's in the abortion clinic there in, at Planned Parenthood out west, uh, or Lord, whether it's uh, individuals who are in the hospital with ICU or in the nursing home who are seeking to uh, rehabilitate and to be able to be able to go home or to be able to be with their loved one. Uh, Father, we pray that you will be with each one of them. We thank you for the blessing of answered prayers uh, of testimony that we've even heard tonight of how you are faithfully uh, answering prayers in individuals' lives. And Father, we pray for each one of these on our prayer list. Some are uh, terminal illnesses. Others, Lord, are, are just some things that they're going through right now. But each one of these need your presence with them. And so, Father, I pray that you'll make your power and your glory known to them to let them know that you are with them. Father, that you'll give them strength to keep pressing forward uh, each and every day. But we just pray as you are the great physician, may you lay your healing hands upon them. Uh, speak the word, Lord, that needs to be spoken uh, to bring that healing to their bodies uh, and to, Lord, to use it as a witness and testimony to those who are around them as caregivers, as family, uh, whoever it may be, Lord, that needs to hear their testimony uh, of all that you have done, and may you use it as a witness uh, in their hearts and in their lives. Father, we pray uh, that you would be with uh, all the other needs that are represented here, because we know there's more than just the physical needs. Uh, sometimes there's financial needs that go along with these uh, physical needs. There are uh, emotional needs and emotional strains. There are sometimes family stresses that are going on, and, and so Father, Father, whatever the needs might be, we uplift them all to you. And Lord, even as we're gathered here tonight and uh, those individuals who are with us online, uh, there may be some unspoken requests that we have. And so we just ask God that you will answer all of our prayers before you. You know those needs. And we just pray, God, that you will shower each and every one of those individuals, each and every one of those needs with your grace, as your grace is sufficient for all of our needs, not just a part of our needs, but all of them. And so Father, I pray tonight that you will uh, help us, Lord, to sing your praises uh, to the world around us, uh, even in the midst of the storms that we may be going through ourselves. And Father, as we come to study your word tonight, uh, here in the book of Nahum, a book that we many times have uh, not even looked at uh, or studied ourselves, and so Father, I pray that you will uh, make your word powerful and alive and help us to see the relevancy of this minor prophet uh, the, book, the book of Nahum for our lives even today. And so, Father, we pray for your will to be done. So make your word powerful, make it alive, sharper than any two-edged sword. And, Father, we pray that you'll use it to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So bless us tonight, Lord, as we come to study your word. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen and amen. And uh, Do I have my mic on? Do I have my mic on? I am. Okay. 
Uh, we do ask also, uh, we've changed a little bit with one of our cameras here uh, with some of the, the uh, image there. So let us know how it looks at home. Uh, if you see any things, we've had some irregularities in the last few weeks with uh, me looking like Barney, <laughs> looking purple. <laughs> and then uh, last went Sunday night, somebody said it looked like I changed my jacket three times uh, with different colors. So. <laughs> So let us know if you see any of those kind of things. You can comment there. Uh, ben sees that too, and, and we'll see that afterwards, and we can try to uh, maybe fix that on the fly uh, as we go through too, uh, but we can definitely try to tune it uh, as we go on. We know our camera is an old camera, so that's uh, one of the issues we're going to have to update uh, with that. So when you see that side view that comes from the phone, uh, that's a much clearer picture that you'll see there. So hopefully you were able to find the book of Nahum. Uh, it's right after the book of Micah. Uh, it's right before the book of Habakkuk. It's only three pages in my Bible. Uh, it's only three chapters in the Bible. Uh, it is a very small book, but it is a very powerful message. Let me ask you this. Now you can't probably tell me online, maybe you can comment there, but have you ever heard a sermon on the book of Nahum? I don't see any hands here. Maybe if you're home, you can tell us yes, no. Have you, seen, have you ever heard a sermon on the book of Nahum? And you have to do that on Facebook for us to let us know that. You can comment on the others, but we won't see it live. Uh, I, I've never heard one myself from, from other preachers. I, I can hardly wait to hear what I'm going to say <laughs> about the book of Nahum. <laughs> and we're going to see a lot here in these three chapters. Uh, very little is known about Nahum himself, uh, except that he comes from the town of Elkish, uh, who, whose location we don't know where it is with any certainty. Uh, and that we also know that he was a prophet uh, of God who announces the fall of Nineveh. Now, where have you heard Nineveh before? With Jonah. Uh, you remember the book of Jonah. We went through Jonah already. Uh, we've heard about that. Uh, but here he announces the fall of, of Nineveh, which at this point in time is the capital city of Assyria, of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire, as you remember when we were studying the book of Micah, is the one that Micah had been prophesying, who has come down, taken the northern kingdom uh, of Israel. They've come down and they've taken a lot of the area around Jerusalem, but they never actually conquered Jerusalem itself because they had some battles back up north in Assyria on their own home front that they had to go back. And that was all a part of God's plan uh, in taking them back to give uh, Judah uh, one more opportunity because God is patient. God is long-suffering. Uh, he doesn't want to have to bring judgment on his people uh, if he doesn't have to, if they would repent and turn to him. Uh, and so he gives them that one more opportunity uh, by taking the nation of Assyria back north, but then they still don't repent, and we're going to see that the, the nation of Babylon comes in to take things over. Well, in the interim time here, Nahum is preaching and proclaiming uh, God's word. He mentions the capture of the Egyptian city of Thebes, uh, which occurred in 663 B.C., he predicts the fall of Nineveh, which takes place in 612 B.C. So these dates place him in Judah in, in between, the, or during at least, the reigns of Manasseh, uh, who was one of the worst kings uh, of the nation of Judah, and Josiah, uh, who was the youngest king there, who did bring about some revival, but it only lasted while he was king. His contemporaries, the, the counterparts that he would have uh, been ministering alongside of to some degree, would have been people like Jeremiah, uh, Zephaniah, Habakkuk. 
Uh, his name means comfort uh, or compassion. And his message of, a, of the Assyrians' doom would certainly have comforted the people of Judah who had suffered because of the Assyrians. Uh, as we said, they had taken the northern kingdom in 722 uh, B.C. and had dispersed the people. They tried to take Judah during the days of King Hezekiah in 701 B.C., uh, but they were defeated by the angel of the Lord. You can read about that in the book of Isaiah in Isaiah 37. Uh, Assyria was kind of always hovering, if you will, over this tiny kingdom of Judah. And, and having these ruthless people uh, out of the way would have been a great benefit to Judah's situation. Now, when we read Jonah, you remember Jonah announced Nineveh's doom over a century before. But you remember what happened? He went and preached uh, the good news to the nation uh, or to the city there of Nineveh, uh, and the people repented. And they, they turned to the Lord, and, and Jonah didn't like all that because they were a, a wicked nation. Uh, and so Jonah had announced their doom a century before, but God had relented because they repented. Well, the Lord was certainly uh, long-suffering to spare the city uh, that long, especially because since the Assyrians had re returned to their evil ways. Uh, so when that king, obviously, uh, who repented and the people repented in sackcloth and ashes, when Jonah preached the message of the judgment that was coming upon them, once he passed off the scene, they're back to doing their same old things uh, that they used to do uh, before. And so while Nahum's message was directed especially to the Assyrians, he is also careful to encourage the people of Judah as well. You'll notice the very first statement in verse 1 here. It says, and in the ESV, the English Standard Version, it says, An oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum of Elkush. Now, some versions uh, will say uh, the word burden. Uh, a, a message of judgment concerning Nineveh. Uh, the second book in the Bible that has to do with the city of Nineveh, this book of Nahum, uh, as we remember, was a wicked uh, nation. Uh, Jonah preached to them. And why did Jonah preach to them? Because God loved them. And so here's the second book uh, around this city of Nineveh, and the Lord is saying to Nahum, Nahum, I want you to give a message to the Ninevites. It's too late for the preaching but tell them that even though I love them, I have to judge them. And so in Jonah, we see the love of God. In Nahum, we see the wrath of God. And that's why when you look at these prophets in the Old Testament, and in particular the minor prophets, sometimes when you read through them, uh, we tend to focus on the judgment of God, but the love of God has been there also. We saw the love of God in the book of Jonah, now we're going to see the wrath of God in the book of Nahum. Nineveh, as we said, was a very wicked city. We studied about that in Jonah. We know that it was a wicked city. It was brutal. It was a cruel nation of people. Uh, the, the nations of the earth trembled at, at the very word uh, of Assyria. Uh, whole cities would commit suicide when the Ninevites would make their approach. And, and so here is one of the most godless nations that walked the, the face of the earth uh, at that time. They had big armies. Uh, they were ruthless rulers. They were bullying and beating up on other smaller nations. Nineveh thought, we're indestructible. Nothing can happen to us. Uh, they thought they were beyond judgment. 
It was a city of about a million in population. It had a great wall. If you remember when Jonah went there and preached, it took him three days to walk around and to share the word that God had uh, for them. It had a great wall. There were about 1,200 towers uh, around this city. The Tigris River uh, went around it, and there was also a moat around this city. Uh, they had their own food supply. They thought they were well fixed and nobody could touch them. They thought they were impenetrable. And yet God sends a message of judgment here to Nineveh. Uh, he announces this doom that is going to come upon them. And so when Nahum gives this particular prophecy, uh, they didn't seem, uh, th there didn't seem to be any way that this could come to pass. Uh, so when they're hearing this word, uh, they're, they're thinking, you're crazy uh, telling us this, Nahum. Nothing's going to happen to us. Now, if you'll remember, go back and remember some of what we talked about in Jonah. There had been some preceding events before Jonah came and shared that word from God of the judgment that was coming then that led them to the repentance. There had been a great earthquake for one thing, and that got their attention. Uh, there were some other things that had happened like that uh, that God had allowed to happen to them to get their attention so that when Jonah came, God had been preparing the people of Nineveh to hear his message and to come to repent. Now they don't have those things that are going on. They think, oh, things are going great. Uh, we're going to eat, drink, and be merry. Everything's going to be great for us. There's nothing that can come to pass of what you're telling us here, uh, Nahum. They seem to be absolutely at the pinnacle at the peak of their power. When you read about that and you hear about that and you study about where Nineveh is at this point in their history, it reminds us of those nations that come along from time to time. And we're troubled by them. Uh, we wonder, why does God allow those nations to do what they do? Uh, we wonder why the Lord lets them go on and on in, in their injustices and in their violence and in their cruelties. And we wonder uh, sometimes why God doesn't just do something. We read here yet in the book of Nahum, and we learn, though, as we're going to see, that there does come a time when God says, enough, that's it. Now, as we said already, the name Nahum means comfort. Now, the message was certainly no comfort to Nineveh, uh, but what a comfort it would be to the Israelites and to all the other nations. It was music to the ears of the Israelites that Nineveh is finally going to be judged for all those horrible atrocities that they've committed against the Israelites. Uh, the word of that would have met with applause and, and great joy. They were thrilled to hear uh, the death that finally Nineveh was going to be judged. It would be like for us today in the height of some war if we heard about our enemy suddenly being destroyed. Uh, the, there would be, probably be rejoicing uh, in many capitals of the world. That's exactly what's taking place here in Nineveh. This is the message that God gives to Nineveh. So when you begin to look at the book of Nahum in just these three little chapters, you wonder why are we studying about the destruction of a nation so many centuries ago? What does that have for us today? Well, it's a message for us and an object lesson to us that God sooner or later is going to judge all of the godless and wicked nations of this world. It's a message to us that God does draw a line in the sand and says to nations and says to people, no more. When those nations and when those people step over that line, God says enough. Judgment is going to come. Understand this, wrath 
restrained is wrath reserved. So in other words, we're living in a time where it may seem to us like God's wrath isn't being poured out upon uh, godless people around our nation or, or even around our world, but God is reserving it uh, for later. If people repent of their sins, then God's wrath is averted. That's what happened to, the na to, to Nineveh to start with. They averted God's judgment. If people refuse to repent of their sins, then God's wrath is poured out. And that's what we're going to learn about Nineveh is that they had gone back now. They had rebelled against God. And we're going to learn here that the, that the love of God uh, here about it. And we're also going to learn about the wrath of God. Now, this is mostly a book about the wrath of God. Uh, we're going to see over these three chapters that Nahum makes three statements about God. First is what we see as the title of our message tonight is that God is jealous and Nineveh will fall. We see that in verse 1 down through verse 15. Uh, notice the setting here in verse 1. Now, as we said, some versions say message, some versions say vision, some say prophecy, some say oracle, uh, as the, the ESV does. Uh, the King James Version uses the word burden. And it does have that emphasis of what we think of as a burden. Uh, it's a vision, it is an oracle, a word, a message, but it's a burdensome message. Uh, it, it's something uh, that, that, would be, that Nahum would feel, something he would see. Uh, that word translated burden simply means to lift up and, and was often used to describe prophetic messages that announce judgment. Uh, Isaiah, in fact, used this word ten times in his prophecy as he wrote about the burden of Babylon, Isaiah 13, verse 1. In Isaiah 15, verse 1, he wrote about the burden of Moab, and, and he continues on uh, throughout his book. These burdens came as a result of the visions that God gives his prophets uh, of these dreadful events of judgment that were determined for the nations. Now, it wasn't easy to be a prophet and, and to see what lay in the future. And they felt the burden of this message. So, so Nahum, when we read what he has to say, he's feeling the burden of this oracle, of this message, of this vision, of this prophecy to Nineveh. And so he, it's, it, this uh, Nineveh, the, the, the name of Nineveh is not mentioned till we get down to chapter 2 in verse 8, but that's who uh, this is all focused towards. Now, we're going to see in this first part here that God speaks of himself. God speaks of himself because this book, if you will, in this first chapter in particular, is what we might call a, a, a theology. It's a, the word theology means a study of God. And this first chapter is a theology. So we want to begin here uh, in just looking at verse 2 uh, and following. And we'll just read a few verses here, uh, and then we'll come back uh, to, to look at this and God speaking of himself. So verse 2, here's the message God wants Nahum to share with Nineveh. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust 
of his feet. So in this chapter, beginning right out the gate here, God is speaking a word to Nineveh to tell them some things about himself. That's why we say this is a theology. It's a study of God. It tells us about the nature of God in these verse verses. It tells us about the character of God. And it's a far different picture uh, of God than, than what we hear about and want to think about, especially here in, in America today. A lot of people have the idea that God is some kind of grandfatherly figure up there in heaven, and he just loves us too much to, to punish us, uh, and, and, and that there's nothing he, he would do that, that would in any way seem like punishment. He wants you to, we even hear the message of he wants you to prosper. He wants you to be healthy and wealthy. Uh, and we hear that message so much across our own nation. Well, God is a far different God than what a lot of people think he is. God is a God of love, and that is a major theme. That is the dominant truth of God. But don't ever, if you don't ever learn anything about, else about God, you need to know that God is a God of love. The Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But God isn't just a God of love. He is also a God who is holy. God is so holy that he cannot allow sin and injustice and unrighteousness to go on and on and on. That's why we have the question so often, why do you let it keep on and on then, Lord? If you can't stand sin, if you can't, uh, you can't allow it to continue on and on, why do you allow it to? We're going to find that out as we go through the book of Nahum here. So Nahum is going to tell us some things about God that may be a little, di a little different, a little stern, or, or a little severe. Uh, but, but they're essential if you're really going to see the God of the Bible. He tells us also about the patience of God in these opening verses. So he tells us there in, in verse 3 that he's slow to anger and great in power. It tells us of the patience of God. And, and there are three words that, that really jump out to us in these first two verses uh, that w when you read these verses, you don't ordinarily think about them in terms of God. The first word is jealous. Jealous. Now, we think of jealousy with the negative connotation. Uh, we think of jealousy in terms of human jealousy, desiring to have what someone else has, uh, being jealous of, of someone else's things. But that's a different kind of jealousy. What we're talking about here is a holy jealousy. It's the kind of jealousy that the character of God who loves us uh, and, 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 and that is his character and that he is jealous for us. Uh, jealousy is a sin if it means being envious of what others have and wanting to possess it. But it's a virtue if it means cherishing what we have and wanting to protect it. So, so put it in a picture like this. A, a faithful husband and wife ought to be jealous over each other and do everything they can to keep that relationship exclusive. You wouldn't want uh, to say, oh, it's okay, honey, you can, you can go see other women, or uh, okay, honey, you can go see other men. You're jealous for that relationship. You want the love of that individual. You committed yourselves to each other, not committed yourselves to the whole wide world. You committed yourselves to each other, to a loving, faithful relationship with each other. And so uh, that word jealous, you're to be exclusive uh, towards one another. Jealous and zealous, they come from the same root word. And so when you're jealous over someone, you're zealous to protect the relationship. So think of it in this respect. God made everything. 
He made this world. He made the creation. He made us. And he owns everything. He doesn't envy anyone. But since he's the only true God, he is jealous over his glory, over his name, uh, over the worship and the honor that are due to him and him alone. In the second commandment, uh, God, in the second of the Ten Commandments, God prohibited uh, the worship of idols, and he backed up that prohibition with this reason in Exodus 20 and verse 5. He says, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Not that he envies things from us, but that he wants to protect that relationship that he has with us. When you studied the book of Hosea, remember the book of Hosea? Uh, Hosea, uh, his life and his marriage to Gomer was a picture of God and his relationship to the nation of Israel and even sometimes uh, a picture of us when we commit ourselves to the Lord but then we commit adultery, spiritual adultery with the world and we want to love God and love the world at the same time and God says you can't do that. Well, we learned in the study of the book of Hosea that the Lord was married to Israel in a covenant relationship. And any breach of that covenant stirred up God's jealousy, his jealous love. He will not share his people with false gods any more than a husband would share his wife with his neighbor. And so Nineveh was a city given over to wickedness, especially idolatry and cruelty, and God's jealous love burned against their pride and their willful breaking of his law. God is a jealous God. The second word that kind of jumps out to us there uh, in these verses is the word vengeance or avenging. It says the Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries. The Bible tells us that we're not to take vengeance. In the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 19, it says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And, and so vengeance means that God will repay injustice, that God will repay for sin. God is a jealous God, and God is also a God of vengeance. Well, the third word that jumps out to us is the word anger. Because when we think of God, we don't want to think of a God who is angry. Uh, but yet the Bible tells us that. It talks about the anger of God. In, in verse 3 it says, he is slow to anger. He does have anger. Uh, we see the description there. His way is in whirlwind and storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. You see the anger of God. We don't think of, about God as an angry God. Sometimes we, we think of God as, as some happy-go-lucky deity. And yet the Bible tells us that God is a God who is capable of anger. Any genuine personality, any solid, well-rounded personality, any of us are capable of anger. The Bible says... We're to, to be angry and not sin. There, in other words, there's an anger that isn't a sinful kind of anger. And God is capable of that kind of anger. Not that God is angry with the sinner, but that God is angry with the sin that harms the sinner. It's like the anger that, that you feel uh, when you discover that a loved one has cancer. You're not mad with the person. You're not angry at the person, but you are angry at cancer. Uh, you do feel that anger towards cancer, not the one who has the cancer. Uh, let me tell you this tonight. The, the God, that, that God loves you so very much 
that he has anger against those things that could harm your life and those things that make you less than what you ought to be and want to be for God. Uh, notice another word in verse 3. It says that the Lord is slow to anger. He's slow to anger. That's talking about the patience of God. God is a patient God. I mean, think about what had happened here with Nineveh. God had waited many centuries on the city of Nineveh. In fact, when Jonah preached to Nineveh, we read, they repented. They had a great revival there. And so now, many, many years have passed, and there's a new generation on the scene. And, and understand, salvation is not something you inherit. There's this generation in Nineveh that had repented, but now years have passed, and it's an unrepentant nation that's there. It, kind of reminiscent of where we are. We, we kind of started with some, some biblical Christian foundations. Not that we were a perfect nation even in the beginning, but we started with some basic Christian principles, and we are far from that as a nation even today. And, and so uh, God was waiting on them to repent. God is slow to anger. God's waiting on them to repent. So sometimes we wonder, why doesn't God do something when we see the wickedness around us? Why doesn't God send punishment? Uh, we think about the years of oppression of the people in, in North Korea uh, under Kim Jong-un and his family and, and the years of, of Nazi Germany under Hitler and so many others that we could possibly name. Surely many of God's people uh, through the years have wondered, why didn't God do something? Why didn't he stop all that? We think about wicked China and all the atrocities that go on over there. We wonder why God doesn't do something. But God is patient. God is long-suffering. Here's what the Bible says in the book of 2 Peter, chapter 3 and verse 9. It says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. So some look at the promises here that judgment's coming, and we know the promises that are made towards our days, that, that there is judgment that is coming. We talk about the great tribulation that's coming in. People wonder, where is that great tribulation y'all been talking about for so long? Where is this return of Jesus Christ that you've talked about for so long? Well, when he returns, judgment is returning. And the Bible says the Lord's not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So understand, if you've never received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, why are you still alive? According to the teachings of the Bible, if a person dies in their sin without the Lord Jesus, they pay the eternal price for, for their sins, and the wrath of God is poured out upon their sins. There's an eternity spent in a terrible place called hell. Why aren't you in a place called hell right now? It's because of the patience and the long-suffering of God. God is giving us another opportunity to be saved. Don't waste the opportunity to be saved. There's the patience of the Lord that we see that God wants them to understand. I have been patient with you. He knows the arguments they're going to make. But God, this is the first time we've heard of this. We didn't know what you're talking about. You know, we, same kind of excuses we would make to our parents when we would get in trouble. It, they would make the same kind of excuses to God. And God's laying all this out to say, I'm a jealous God. I'm an avenging God. I, I'm a wrathful God. I, I have to judge sin. I would judge it on your neighbors if they sinned. I'm going to judge it on you if you sin. Uh, but he says, I'm slow to anger. I'm patient. And, and I've been waiting, and I've been waiting. 
and you haven't turned back to me. And so he talks about the patience. And then he talks about the power of the Lord. Notice again there in verse 3. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. In other words, he's not going to excuse those who are guilty. Uh, they may be seemingly getting away with it now, but their day is coming. His way is in whirlwind and storm. So he's talking about the judgment is coming, and it's not going to be pretty. It's going to be in a whirlwind. It's going to be in a storm. The clouds are the dust of his feet. Verse 4 goes on to say, He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers, Bashan and Carmel wither, uh, mountains wither, the bloom of Lebanon withers, the mountains quake before him, the hills melt, the earth heaves before him, the world and all who dwell in it. What we see in those, th those three, two and a half verses there is that God is omnipotent. We see the power of God in his nature. We see that he has the power of the whirlwind, the tornado, the hurricane. He has the power of the storm. He has the power of the earthquake. He has the power of the volcano. All are part of God's mighty arsenal of power. And God can use his world of nature to send judgment. Heard a story about an atheist that was giving a talk and he was mocking the very thought uh, that there was a God and he got out of his watch and he said, I'm going to give God uh, five minutes to strike me dead. And he stood there and he, he counted off the minutes and finally uh, when the five minutes were over and nothing happened, he said, there, that proves that there isn't a God. Huh? As if you can somehow order the God of this universe around. God is in charge God is a God of all infinite power. We see the power of God that he says, it's not going to be a pretty judgment that's coming upon you. He has all power at his disposal. And then notice we see the presence of God in verse 6 down through verse 8. Verse 6 says, who can stand before his indignation? who can stand the heat of his anger. His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries and will pursue his enemies into darkness. So, so he asks that question there, who can stand before his indignation? There's none of us that could stand in any form of, of our righteousness before God. Sometimes we have the idea uh, that God isn't on the scene, but God is very often working behind the scenes, doing things that we don't always see, and that's exactly what God was doing with Nineveh. You can read on down through this chapter and you'll see not only the presence of God, but God's purpose in all of it. And so now the message changes from speaking about God and his character and his nature that God begins to speak to Nineveh in verse 9 down through verse 11 and then verse 14. So he informs the leaders of Assyria that he knows their plots. Look at verse 9. What, will, what do you plot against the Lord? He will make a complete end. Trouble will not rise up a second time. This is it. It's over. It's done. It's not going to happen a second time. The Assyrians had plotted against Judah in the king, days of King Hezekiah, and God had thwarted their plans then, but the Lord is not going to allow that to happen a second time. 
Uh, instead of marching out triumphantly, uh, he goes on to say uh, that, that, that the leaders are, are, are going to walk around like, like drunks entangled in thorn bushes and stubble burned uh, in a prairie fire. Notice what he goes on to say in verse 10. For they are like entangled thorns, uh, like drunkards as they drink. They are consumed like stubble, fully dried. It's like you got in a briar patch and the briars are wrapped all around you and you can't move. And he says, that's the way it's going to be for you. You're going to try to exert all your power and all your strength and might to overcome, but them briars has got you down. He's saying it's like this. Uh, it's not only these thorns that have entangled you. You're going to be like drunkards walking through the street. You can't even stand up. Uh, and so uh, the, the plotter mentioned in verse 11 uh, that he's talking about is Assyria. He says in verse 11, From you came one who plotted evil against the Lord, a worthless counselor. A and then God addresses him in verse 14. In verse 14 it says, The Lord has given commandment about you, the one who had rebelled and plotted against the Lord. No more shall your name be perpetuated. From the house of your gods, I will cut off the carved image and the metal image. I will make your grave, for you are vile. This is the king of Assyria that he's talking about. God addresses him and makes three declarations. Your dynasty is going to end because you're not going to have any more descendants to go to your throne. Secondly, the help of your gods and your goddesses are going to end because they're going to be destroyed. You may look to them, they're false gods anyway, but he says all that's going to be destroyed. And then he says, here's the third thing, your very life is going to end because I'm going to prepare your grave for you. What a sobering message for a man who was sure his plans would succeed. And that's where a lot of people are today who feel like my plans are going to succeed. But the answer is plain, he says, you are vile. And then God turns his message in Nahum to the people of Judah. Look at verse 12 and verse 13 and then verse 15 and even a little bit of verse 14 here. So verse 12 and verse 13, we see he says, thus says the Lord... Though they are at full strength and many, talking about Assyria, even though Assyria has hundreds of guys who are, who are serving in their military, there are many, they would overwhelm you just like that because they're so mighty. I mean, think about that for a second. If we were just going on physical numbers of those that are serving in an army, what army, on the na uh, army nation on the face of this planet do you think would win? China. Numbers-wise, they draw... They, 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 all the other nations are dwarfed in their presence, even our own. And he says here about Assyria, he says, even though they are full strength, and even though they are many, they will be cut down and pass away. Though I have afflicted you, Judah, I will afflict you no more. Now I will break his yoke from off you and will burst your bonds apart. In other words, I have been bringing judgment upon you. They have encroached all the way down almost to the very walls of Jerusalem. But now that's it. I'm not going to let them go any further. Uh, I'm going to bring judgment upon them. So although the Assyrian number outnumbered the army of Judah and the Assyrian ally had more allies to help them to fight uh, than Judah did, uh, that didn't mean that they were bound to win because God was fighting on the behalf of Judah. Uh, yes, the Lord had used Assyria to discipline Judah in the past, but God is saying that's not going to happen again. 
This time, God is going to break the yoke. He's going to remove the shackles that Assyria had put on Judah, and Assyria would attack them no more. Look at what God said there. Uh, he goes on in verse 14. Uh, he said, uh, The Lord has given commandment about you. You shall no more, uh, no more shall your name be perpetuated from the house of your gods. I will cut off the carved image and metal image. I will make your grave and your vial. Uh, God wasn't sitting there biting his nails up in heaven wondering, what's he going to do? I mean, this is such a mighty army. What, what am I going to do here? Uh, God had a plan. And God was always working out that plan. It, though the years went by, and, and even though Nineveh was, was bursting in its pride and, and, and bursting in, in its uh, self, selfness, selfishness here, uh, even though uh, they thought that, that, that they were running uh, over these little nations of the world and these little nations were crying out, Oh Lord, oh Lord, how long are you going to let this go on? How long will it be before you judge this godless nation? God was always at work, and God was behind the scenes, and God knew what he was doing. Notice verse 15. Behold upon the mountains the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. Keep your feasts, O Judah. Fulfill your vows, for never again shall the worthless pass through you. He is utterly cut off. Now, when you read those verses in ancient days, news was carried by couriers. And the watchman on the walls, as we talked about before, in Micah would scan the horizon uh, for, for, the, for the news of what was uh, happening. Uh, and, and in this case, it was good news indeed. The courier is about to announce that Nineveh has fallen, the Assyrian army is defeated and in disarray, and Judah could go on now and live in peace and enjoy her annual feast and, and go back to, to their religious uh, festivals and, and worshiping God there uh, in Jerusalem. What we see is, is that Nahum first opens up as a book of theology. Remember verse 7, though. Go back to verse 7. Remember what verse 7 said? We kind of went through it real quickly. But it's a beautiful promise there in verse 7. It says, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. So right here in the middle of all this judgment is this beautiful promise. God is good. Isn't that the truth? I mean, we sing that little chorus sometimes. God is so good. God is so good. God is so good. He's so good to me. We serve a good God. God is good all the time. God is good to you. God is good to me. God is good to all of us. Uh, every day of your life, regardless of what that day may bring or whatever danger there may be, the Bible says that the Lord is a stronghold in that day of trouble. You can run to Him as a hiding place. But there's also another beautiful statement. It's that one we finished with in verse 15. It's so interesting to me that when you study these particular prophets and you read some of this material and it gets so heavy and it gets so deep and right in the middle of it all, God has these special verses like verse 7, like verse 15. Remember verse 15? Behold, upon the mountains the feet of him who brings good news and who publishes peace. 
That promise is also given in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah 52, verse 7. It's also repeated in the New Testament in the book of Romans, chapter 10, and verse 15. It's applied to those who preach the gospel. It says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So understand this, if you are a witness for the Lord, if you tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says you have beautiful feet. Those messengers in those days would come to make those announcements, and they would make those messengers run over the mountains, and there was a message of peace and good news that a battle had been won, and they would say, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good tidings. To Judah, it meant that Assyria was completely destroyed and could never again invade her land. To us who trust in Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, it means that He has completely defeated sin and death and Satan, and we are now free to enjoy the blessings of salvation. What a beautiful message that is. Now, we may not think of our feet looking that pretty, but think about this. We don't normally think of feet being pretty, but some of us remember the time when somebody came to our home or somebody sat us down and came to us and talked to us about Jesus and shared with us the gospel, shared with us the message of salvation. And you can say about that person, how beautiful are the feet of those who brought the good news of Jesus Christ to me. So even in the midst of judgment, there is still a message of peace and God's presence, that if you trust in Him, He will see you safely through to the other side. What a wonderful message here uh, that God is a jealous God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the blessing of this word as we just begin to get into the book of Nahum. Father, I pray that, that as we study through it, may it continue, God, to, to be powerful in our lives. And may we see those truths that, that so applicably apply to our lives, Lord, that you are, a, you are such a good God and you are a stronghold in any day of trouble, that, that if we wake up tomorrow, Lord, and, and things are just horrible, uh, the day is going rotten, Lord, we can know that you are good, that you are in control, you are working things out, no matter how bad it may seem to us at the moment, you are working all of those things behind the scenes that we can't even see to bring about glory for your name and to bring about good into our lives. So, Lord, help us to cherish the good news. Lord, help us to, to, to sing praise uh, of the peace that is coming in that message. And Lord, may we receive the blessing that you have for us. Lord, as we're going through trials, help us, Lord, to look at those trials and to turn to you and to say, Lord, what do you want to teach me today through this? Lord, I want you to use me and to, and to bless me and to bring me through these things. So I come to you, Lord, and I seek you to be my place of refuge, my place of strength. And Lord, may you bless us when we do that. Lord, forgive us of our sin. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us there online. We look forward to seeing you this coming Sunday. Uh, we'll be back uh, in worship. We'll be back for Sunday school uh, at 915. Come and join us. We have a new Sunday school class uh, for those that might be interested in joining or learning more about our church. Uh, Brother Tommy Griffin is teaching that class. So uh, come, let the guys at the door know you want to go to that class. They'll show you where it's at. 
Uh, and then also we, we will have worship at 1030. So you can join us here in person. You can join us there online, but we look forward to seeing you then. You have a safe week, a blessed week, and we'll see you this coming Sunday. Thank you.